Okay, go. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got a quick. So, Jill, what'd you get for your birthday? I uh, okay. So, backstory: Has anyone been to the revamped Montreal Ritz Carlton? Uh, you guys stay there how, after how, they did the renovations. How revamped are we talking? Like they redid the whole hotel. So like back in the day when we stayed there with New Jersey, it was like an older school Ritz Carlton. Still nice, but old school. With the red, the red, uh, you know, dark Blue. red. And yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like old school. Old school. Yeah. They went through a complete renovation. And when I tell you it has the best the best bathroom in the league the best bathroom in the league now what constitutes a great bathroom shower great shower shower yeah i mean but you get that you it's get that a, pretty it's much got a bidet matter. doesn't it it's got oh, a bidet oh boy does it ever it's got a heated toilet seat with a bidet <clears throat> so first time staying there i go in i'm like what is this thing it's got a remote control it's got all like I sit down, it's heated. I'm like, oh, that's heaven. Like, this is nice. Something you never would have thought you wanted. And then it comes down to the end. It, it's cleanup time. And so this is my very first time doing it. I was scared. I'm like, what is good? What, what is this? I don't know if I'm going to like it, if it's going to feel good. I don't know what it is. So I go and I test it out. I start out light, like the light spray, just kind of mist it up, get it, get it wet. <laughs> and by the end of the weekend, you know, we were there for a day and a half, two days. I was on yeah. full blast, like just cleaning that thing out. So fast forward now, I got it yesterday. My wife ordered a heated seat bidet for our master bathroom. I forgot I even wanted this, but now I want it hooked up today. Okay, so today. listen, this is what's going to happen, okay? I'm very interested in this, <laughs> but I can't buy one unless I try one. You can come try mine. I'll just make Boom, sure. The that's what I'm lady, asking. I'll make sure the cleaning lady comes after. We're good. You can try. Um, it's you've never. You know who else got a, a, a bidet is, for yeah. their for their birthday? Jake McCabe. When we were on the the live show there a couple of years ago, live show is not nearly as good as it once was. But anyway, it does that does that's irrelevant. But we had Jake McCabe on, and uh, he got his wife got him a bidet too. And I think it stemmed from no pun intended with stem. It stemmed from <laughs> it stemmed from Montreal. It's Carlton in yeah. Montreal, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, very oh, very I interesting. Can't wait. Can't wait. Hmm. All right. Well, that's, a, that's, I mean, that's, that's an interesting gift. I mean, is she, is she concerned about your hygiene? No, not at all. I, I am, I like to not jump that she's in the honest shower. with you no, about, no, no. I like to jump in the shower after I, I take care of business. So I clean up that way. So now this will take out that step. I don't have to, I don't have to schedule my uh every time you shower uh, yeah i like to clean it up i, mean, I, don't I, like I thought you were a, i thought I you were any a, residuals i thought you were a clean eater <laughs> i'll tell you this i'm gonna add to that martin rosinski the guy that i played with in montreal refused 
to go to the bathroom at the rink at the bell center, refused to, to go to the bathroom there. So, and by this, you're talking about a, a, a deuce. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Number two, um, we would be out. Swear to God, 11, 12 o'clock at night, music's pumping, boom, 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 cocktails all over the place. He literally would look at me and goes, I'll be back in 15 minutes. I'm like, where are you going? He's like, gotta go home and hang shit. <laughs> like, it's, it's so bad. I'm like, go right here. He's like, I cannot go because I have to shower after every single time I go to the bathroom. I'm like, so you're, you're telling me that you go number two, you hang a shit. And then all of a sudden you're getting in the shower every single time. Like, what is it? Like 99% of the time, 80, no, 100% of the time he has to shower directly after every single time. I mean, I wish I could be a hundred percent, but I'm not, he will, he will not go to the washroom in, in certain spots. Like he, he will leave the rink drive home, which is like literally five minutes just down the road, go to the bathroom and come back to the rink. <laughs> so what happens if he, let's well, say he's in the middle of practice and he's got a bit of an emergency, what's he doing? Well, exception I, I to the think, rule. I think he's, he's at a point in his life where I don't think he would ever get to that position. Like he's so conscious. Yeah. Of, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm but, saying? Like he, but you can do it at the rink because you got your shower right there. Yeah, the but I mean, right he he he's got something with doing it at home too. Yes, on top yes. of a shower. But absolutely, yeah, yeah. I had a thing about I could never do it at school when uh, I was. At, I don't know if I ever did. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I ever. That. I don't think I ever. I don't think I ever took a dump at school ever, ever, ever. I don't <laughs> Craig's got to think I don't about this. He's one. trying. I wouldn't sit down in any of those North Bay toilets, Riff. I'll tell, tell you that right now. There's a lot of shady shit that happens in those bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> up, up in the Bay, I'll tell you that. I mean, holy jumping. Anyway, oh. so, so you say you need to prepare. I mean, who, who can prepare for that conversation? Although, Gio, I do have a little side note I got to mention for you. This is specifically for you, and I wrote this down today so I didn't forget. I'm totally going to be embarrassing somebody because I know that they're going to listen to this episode. So I bumped into uh, a mom and son from my son's school, and kids a little bit older but um, than my son. But uh, anyway, so he listens. He's a hockey player. He listens to the podcast. And um, he said... Brian Gionta is my favorite episode when he comes on. You know, I love, I love when Gio comes on. And that's a nice compliment. It's a testament to you. However, that's not even the good part yet. So, and the mom turns to me. <laughs> <laughs> and the mom turns to me and she says, I have the biggest crush on Brian Gionta. I was so like, I was like, I'm really? I was like, really? I go, it's not that big of a crush. He's only like, yay high. I'm like, but, I'm like, but, but she's like, oh no, no, he's just, he's just so cute. And I was just like, oh, I can't wait to mention this on the next episode. She's like, no, you can't, you can't, you can't. I said, no, no, no. I'm mentioning you. I'm mentioning your kid's name. I'm mentioning the whole thing, the whole shooting match, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But anyway, I just, you know, you still got it. I still do have it. You still At got 43 it. years old. I still got it. Did you guys see? Leon Dreisaitl's comments the other day, getting into it with the reporter. I did. Yeah. Like, 
how can a reporter be able to ask a player why he's being so pissy? Is that, is that okay? That's kind of a dick move. In my opinion, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I listen to this thing and I'm like, obviously the guys in Edmonton are, are fed up and furious, but how, how, like how do reporters get away with this? Well, it's storyline, right? I mean, this is a huge storyline. We're talking about Leon Dreisaitl, who is uh, one of the best players in the national hockey league for the last number of years now. Um, you know, you have two of the best players in the world, basically sitting in the scoring race, basically at, uh, what one and two, or I think Ovi's up there leading it too. Um, uh, but you have two of the best players in the world on the same team and they're struggling. They're struggling. How is this happening? You can, you can hear the frustration level on Connor McDavid in some of the interviews he's had in the last, uh, you know, few weeks, you can hear the frustration with, um, Leon Dreisaitl and especially, you know, to note that, uh, that interview, I think it was, uh, Ben Matheson. Is that who was asking the questions? Is that who asked the question? Yeah, I think, I think it was, um, you know, I, for me, it's, uh, oh man, I, 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 I listen to it from both sides. That's what's amazing. When I, when I listen to these, uh, these interviews, I listened it to, I listened to it from a player's perspective, um, because I've been in the same situation. Um, I've been, you know, in situations where a team has not played well, and I'm having to answer the same questions over and over and over asking why I know Gio shaking his head here. And he's, he's thinking the exact same thing. Gio had to be in front of the limelight. He had to be in front of the media answering the very difficult questions and having no answers towards them, you know, just trying to say, you know, listen, we're going to have to try and work through this. All that's all you can say. But at that point, in a Canadian city, in Edmonton, with the two best players in the world on the same team, and they don't have the answers. And now you have a, a media member who is, I would, I would call it as an attack on Leon Dreisaitl, because I don't think it's appropriate in how he was asking or speaking. And listen, it goes both ways. The, you know, the the players can get pissy and you know, now for, you know, I haven't seen this in a long time, but Ben Matheson was clearly the one who is more upset than, than Jim, uh, Jim Matheson, Jim Matheson, Jim Matheson. There we go, Jim. Yeah. So it's a tough situation for, for uh, Leon Dreisaitl answering the same questions over and over and not having the answer. He's a player. He's a player. He goes out, he does his job. He produces every single night. But he's not the reason why they're losing. If you want to ask these questions about being pissy, go and ask the GM. Go and ask the GM why he is not making moves because it's clearly not working in Edmonton. I don't, I, I, it's hard to follow that because everything is right, right? Like the player himself is doing everything he can. He has to go out there. I've been that guy. I was that guy, you know, down here in Montreal. I was that guy in Buffalo for three years. It is not easy every game, game in and game out, being asked, what can you do? What are the answers? If we had the damn answers, we'd be out there doing it. And like Riv says, 
those questions should be reserved for the coach and the GM, not for McDavid Drysaddle. Maybe reserve those questions for another member on the team that's not pulling his weight. But when you have those star players at the top of the scoring race and your team is tanking, they're going out and doing everything they can. So that is not an appropriate question to him. He's not going to sit there and be like, yeah, our second, third, fourth line need to pick it up. Our number one D pair sucks. You know what I mean? We need to get better. That's not on him. That's for the coach. That's for the GM to answer that question. Now, the reporter has every right to ask the question. No doubt. He's in that room. He has the right. That is his job. Now, it's it's Dreisaitl's job to answer it whatever way he wants. And I've played that game with a half-assed smirk on my face. They're asking me a question they want, and I'm answering the question that I want to answer. And he asks it again, and I answer it the same way. You know, you just you're able to spin it whatever way you want. Now that reporter needs to be careful because he needs to keep the credibility within that group. Otherwise he's going to ostracize himself out from being able to have any kind of credible conversations, interviews, moving forward, real answers. Yeah, but but let me ask you this. There's a delicate balance between looking for the answers and attacking a guy when it's not warranted. You know what I mean? Like you can come and ask me the question when it's warranted. I have no problem answering to it. You know what I mean? And yeah. and Dry was simply saying, I don't have the answers. And there must have been a backstory that he wrote an article saying of all the issues that are going on in Edmonton, because Dry responds with, I don't know, you have the answers. As in he had already given the answers and he's just looking for Dry sidled to either throw his teammates under the bus. He's listening. He's looking, looking for, for an explosion. Exactly. You know what I mean? He's so, looking for an article that is going to be epic, not yeah. just an Edmonton article. Leon Dry is not just about articles in Edmonton. He is he is a uh, North American worldwide article. If he blows up, it is going to go worldwide. It's going to go into the United States. It's going to go all across Canada. It's going to go over to Germany. It's going to hit outlets all over the world. This is Jim Matheson knew exactly what he was doing. And he asked those questions and they're bullshit. But you know, he, he, you don't he, ask he, a player question, why he's so pissy. That's not question, a question. Yes, that, that's that's different. He had the right to ask the question, what is what are the answers? What do you see needs fixing? He has that right. And Dry Subtle has the right to say, listen, I don't know. We're trying everything and move on. Like he can be as short as he wants with his answer. He should not retaliate with you're being pissy. That's the nature of it. I'm dealing with this every single day. We're trying to find answers. I don't have them, period. I'm not being pissy. I'm not liking the situation. I don't have the answers. It's a tough look for the guys in Edmonton. Last week, you got McDavid, you know, with, uh, you know, showing some attitude in his his interview. I mean, is, is that what we want to see? Are, are players not supposed to be a little more cordial with the media? I mean, let's be honest here, because the league jams these players down uh, the media's throat. Like they force them. Like, you know why dry settles there dry settles there because the team probably didn't want to put McDavid there. Right. So they have yeah. to put the next big gun there. And now the next big gun gets, gets shots fired at him. And you know, it's like, 
that that's the whole reason for that. I can't stand, and I've said this before, I hate the fact that every that players need to answer after every single game. Like that was part of Jack Eichel's problem here in Buffalo. I know he's not here anymore, but you know, you're on a losing team, you're named captain at the age of 20, and now you have to answer all these questions. Jack's only been in the league for a hundred games. You know, like yeah. it, it's it's insane to think that that the same players have to go and answer questions. Like write your own story, get your own story, come up with your own conclusions. Yeah, these, I don't understand why understand you need player quotes. Reporters, you need it. You need it. That's their job. That's, you know, you don't think that uh, Jack Eichel or Sam Reinhardt or any of those guys should have been talking oh, every day. You think media available, media availability should be every single day. It's we didn't every see practice. Sam Reinhardt every day. We didn't see Sam Reinhardt every day. And I'm for that not, matter, I'm not just talking about Jack. a singular player. I'm talking about, uh, like a team. Why do the Edmonton Oilers need to have somebody speak to the media or multiple players speak to the media on a daily basis? Oh, that's right. Cause we're trying to grow the game. If you're trying to grow the game and you want, and, and, and you are forcing, that's like, that's like saying like, why do you need to have a uh, briefing at the white house every morning? Why can't no, we just not. have a day off? Yes, it is. Oh, that's it's their job. Not. Are you that's kidding? Their job. Oh my goodness. What a, what a, what a terrible example in my opinion. No oh, offense. Not a terrible example. You have the a White job House to versus do. versus professional hockey. Come on, it's an what? analogy, PD. Yeah, yeah. Okay, wake up. <laughs> He's been struggling you, waking you up don't, too. You don't think right now that NHL players should not have to talk? Here's the thing. You know, not every you, day. You, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You know, the players that don't talk are the ones that are winning. When's the last time you seen uh, uh, Barkoff have an interview in North America? When's the last time you've seen, uh, you know, uh, Nate McKinnon talk or like you don't see them talk. It's not on Sportsnet or it's not on. Is that TSN just because they're or, all praising him and they can all come up that's with because their own? They're winning and no one gives a shit. They're just like, wow, the team's playing well. It's not just about uh, McKinnon because you just look over and you got Cadre's playing excellent and you got Kale McCarr and everything's just going well there. And the writers are happy and there's there's no tough questions. They're just everybody's smiling. Then you look at Edmonton. It's a tough tough situation it's it's a canadian city and and they want answers and guess what it's the best opportunity for all these writers to write you think you want to be the guy in colorado that's just like literally going to the rink every well, day the, the, the story in edmonton winning streak, the, sto- like- the story in edmonton is you have two of the top three scores arguably the greatest player in some people's opinion to ever play the game and they're terrible right now yeah and that's that's the story. And I just and, I don't understand. And, I don't understand why we can't protect these players from having to go and answer these questions. I mean, and even if the because McDavid's but making you're not getting anything anyway, Craig. You're not like Gio just get, said. He's like, I had to talk to the media. You've had to talk to the media in Buffalo and Montreal as well as captain and leader. Like you're not giving them anything. No one's ever giving them anything. Job. That's your job. But but. but. That's someone you, you look at, I don't know, you look at a young guy like Eichel or whatever in Buffalo, they do give something, their body language, their, their attitude. And now what happens is that feeds the media into whatever story they want to give. And so that's why you have, I don't want to call it media training, but like, that's why 
you continue to protect yourself in the media and players continue to do it because the minute you say one thing that's taken out of context, that like Craig says, that's running nationwide and everyone's going to see that. They're not going to see. <laughs> and our time in Montreal, Gio, you yeah. spent you just, you spent five years there. Okay. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. You were not only, not only did you spend five years there, you were the captain, an American captain, which has never, I don't think that's ever happened before. Right. Uh, yeah. Patcheretti. And then, Pat, okay. So, did you try to speak French like Patcheretti quickly on a side note before Riv goes on? Yeah, I had a French tutor for the five years I was there. I tried, oh, that's, I, so you, but I told I told the media I wouldn't do anything on camera. You know what I mean? Like I would greet them in French uh, when they were, you know, when I in the scrum or whatever, just like, "Hey, how you doing?" Type. But I, I never would. I told them I'm not going to do it in French. I'm not going to put myself in that situation because of one time I say a sentence the wrong way or it's misinterpreted, then <laughs> I'm going to look like you know what I mean. Like that, but that's. Like, but Riff, that was my you, point that I was getting to. You have you reporters, in Montreal. That, yeah, you have reporters that you're comfortable with, that yep. you trust, that you can you can speak a little more freely, knowing that they're not going to run with it. They're not going to sewer you. And you also have the reporters that you are super guarded against because you know you say it any which way that they're going to spin it and turn it on you in a second. So you know who those guys yep. are within the room. Yeah, there's a reason why Tortorella and uh, what's the Larry Brooks in in New York feuded. There's reasons why certain guys. I, I don't know this Matheson at all, but he may be a guy that continues to stir things up, and and players don't want to give him anything. Now, that's on him for he can ask the questions. But when you say this to Leon Dreisaitl, why are you being so pissy? You know what? No one's going to trust you again. No one's going to give you anything more than the standard issued answer, as in the basic of all basics, and you're not going to have anything to write now. But that's the bed that he's laid in. You know what I mean? And the player has the right to answer whatever which way he wants. He does have the right to be in front of the camera and answer for it. It's big business. It's a billion-dollar industry. You need to answer for your performance you're making millions of dollars the team the media the fans have the right to an inside track of what's going on they're paying it right that's part of the business it's but don't we know it as sucks. players you want it? i will always defend a player there's no doubt about that i'm a player-sided person at all costs so you have to realize yes, the guy that you're dealing with. That's your media. That's your media guy, though, too. He needs to see you. You just smashed four sticks in practice because you're frustrated. He needs to understand. I'm not putting him in front of the media today. Gio's not available today. He'll he'll be available tomorrow. He's not available today. He just talked for four straight days after a three-game losing streak. He's not available today for practice. He answered your questions last night at the game. He's not available today after practice. And it's, they don't open up that room until I'm undressed and out of the room and I don't have to take care of that that next day. That's also on the staff. Were you a stick smasher? <laughs> Only twice in my career was I. And I apologized to Willie, it was in Buffalo. And I apologized to Pierre Gervais in Montreal. I, and, <laughs> and the jury, actually, 
I don't know. I might've told the story on the old show, but uh, Nathan Boyu came in and he had Nate the Great on his stick. And I went to Jerv and I said, listen, he's got a six sticks there. I'm cutting them all down in half. He will not use those with that name on them. Are you okay with it? I'll pay the fine. I'll do whatever you want to do. Are you okay with it? And he gave me the blessing. So I cut down six brand new sticks because they said Nate the Great on them. That was Nate Bolu? Yeah, he was a rookie, just oh. fresh out of the OHL. <laughs> oh, great okay. kid, great kid. But that's, that's not the first impression. That's, that's not the first impression you want. Well, that's the equivalent to Derek Roy. That's the equivalent to Derek Roy having these DNR gloves made back when he was a rookie, and he he put on them the Don. <laughs> <laughs> he had the Don on his gloves. Rib, were you going to say something about that? Well, no, I was. I was just going to talk. Uh, just going to say something about the Jim Matheson. And the, and the reporter out in Edmonton and, and you alluded to that, you know, you have certain interviews with certain guys and if they cross the line, they get blackballed by players, players completely shut down with how they speak to this guy or a girl, right? Would you agree with that Gio? Yeah, exactly. You got to understand Jim Matheson is a Canadian sports journalist that has covered the NHL's Edmonton Oilers since the inception into the WHA in 1973 and into the NHL in 1979. This guy's 72 years old. He has been covering the Edmonton Oilers since the start of time. So this guy in particular, this is just my opinion, and it's only my opinion. He's allowd to ask these questions to the Andre Seidel, who's only been in the league for what, eight years? This guy is has he, been is he, doing this. Is he allowed for, to say why are you being pissy? That question, or are we just asking about looking I, for answers? Because he I has the right say, to look for answers, but is he yep. does he have the right to to attack him and say he's being pissy? Um, I will say this, and this just my opinion might might be unpopular, but when you've been doing this for almost 50 years, his leash is really, 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 really long. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know who said it to the Leon Dreisaitl. I looked it up. I listened. Now I'm reading up on this guy. This is not some guy that's out of college. That's 25 years old. That's getting his feet wet. This is not a guy that even been covering a team for 10, maybe even 15 years. This guy has been covering this team for 50 years, 50, five. Oh, I'm going to tell you right now, that would be a, the equivalent to back when I was there with red Fisher. Okay. Red Fisher was the most iconic Buffalo or, uh, uh, sorry, Montreal Canadians sports reporter in the history, probably in this game. Okay. Red Fisher is iconic. Red Fisher can ask whatever he wants. He will talk to whoever he wants. That is the way it goes. There is, there is a respect factor for these sports reporters that have been doing this way before some of these guys were even born. And in this situation, it's not a question that I would want to answer from 99% of the media in the National Hockey League. But for Jim Matheson, he has put in his time to be able to go and have these discussions publicly with certain players. Part part of the and problem. that's just my opinion. That's my opinion. And I, you know. I agree that he's got 
more leeway. Part of the problem is with the climate of, of things in the world right now, this guy's sitting behind a screen. He can't pull dry sidle aside after the scrum, right? I'm in a scrum with 10 reporters around me. You're asking the question, right? I answer it whatever, which way. And then everyone disperses to the next guy. So everyone comes, let's put a picture of, of what it is in the room. So we're waiting after a game, after practice, doors open up, media rushes in. There's certain guys available, certain guys not available. So say me and Riz are in the room, we're both available for, for media. There's a big scrum around each player because you want to get the questions in one hand. You don't want to talk to 12 different reporters. So there's a scrum. Now they're done asking me the questions, they go over to Riz. Matheson stays behind, and now we have a somewhat private conversation, right? It's yes. off camera. It is a little it more. It sounds trusted. maybe something like, hey, you, more, seem, you seem kind a of pissy more, in your interview. Yeah, it's a little more Everything trusting. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's a little more trusting. It's a little more private, a little more intimate. And now we can get into it a little more. You're never going to give the full story. I don't care who you are. The players are always going to protect the room. They're, they're teammates. They're always going to protect what's going on. They're not going to give the full story, but they will give insights into what is going on. If you go back and you read quotes or whatever people are saying, if you have been in a room, that's what these reporters do. That's what players do. You know what's going on. Certain things are said a certain way and you can read through the lines. Now that's the conversation that's going to happen privately, especially with an established guy like Matheson, right? So yes, very unfortunately, much. That isn't happening now. They're on a Zoom call. I'm sitting on a podium. All the guys are Zoomed in, and they have three chances to ask the question. And so now we can't have our private intimate. For some of these people, it's been two and a half years since they've been in the room. Yeah. And so there is no relationship. And, and, and there's certain between the player and yes. reporter. There's certain reporters that, and, and, and what you just said goes back to my time in Montreal. When, for an example, to, to give people that are listening an idea that, you know, Red Fisher didn't speak to rookies. You knew that, right? Yeah. You heard yeah. this before? Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, Red Fisher never spoke to, like, I mean, there were some superstar rookies that came up and, you know, people want to listen to what they have to say. Red Fisher never once did an interview with uh, with a rookie. Okay. Which was, which was incredible. But once you, like, I remember he would not even talk to you when I say not talk to you, like he would not talk to you. I remember I walked up to Mr. Fisher, uh, walking into the bell center one day. And I said, uh, good morning, Mr. Fisher. And he looked at me and never said a word to me, not one word, just looked at me and then looked away. I was less than five feet from him. No response. I was a rookie. That being said, moving forward, you know, you may call that, you know, arrogance or ignorance or whatever it is. It was just the way it was. And I respected that. I respected the process. I built a relationship with, with Red Fisher throughout my time in, in, in Montreal. And, and what Gio is saying, just, just like what he's saying, there was, there was the media report. There was, you, you would have, how many people did you talk to on a regular on a day in Montreal? Uh, there's at least minimum, yeah, 40. minimum 15 to 20 every single day between print, TV, because you got French, you got English, you got 
you know, all the different every so it, it's like the playoffs for any other team every single day at practice you open there's these sliding electric doors in montreal they open up and there is a horde of cameras reporters that you're rushing. looking at horse anywhere minimum, from minimum six 30. to 10 cameras yeah you have another 30 media members and you do that every single day Okay. They, they video every single practice. So if there's a slash to a teammate or a push or a punch or an argument, they have caught everything. And they're asking you every single day, every single movement that you make, they will catch it. Okay. But what I was trying to get at is with Red Fisher, who is very much along the same lines as a Jim Matheson in Edmonton is they would pull you aside. And this didn't happen to anybody in that in that 40 man uh, media group. None of them after you were done and spend your 30 minutes talking to the media. Not one guy had the credibility to basically pull you aside and have the private conversation where you opened up more than what you did in the actual media media press conference. Okay, so. Like you said, Gio, Jim Matheson, obviously very frustrated, you know, but does he have the ability to ask these tough questions because of who he is? I am going to go on the side of, yes, he does. And did he ask it? And, and is that something you, Leon Dreisel wants to hear? And the answer is no. But this guy is, is something different. Well, what he was let's, looking let's, for. Go ahead, Gio. No, let's clarify. He has every right to call Drysdale pissy, every right. But he was being kind like, of pissy. I mean, they're all like, they're all yeah, yeah. they're all pissed off over there in Edmonton. He, he, he's not wrong in that sense. He has every right, but everything you do has consequences. I don't care who you are. You know what I mean? So, with being able to speak your mind and have the right to say whatever you want, he also now runs the risk of those players not opening up to him, those players not feeling safe around him, those players not feeling guarded around him. That's He has every right. And then the player has every right to just simply ask the que- or answer the question that he's asking and move on and give him nothing else from that point forward. It's just the nature of the business. Well, this is this is kind of my this would be my message to the media today, and that is, you know, you're 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 begging for players to be more open. You want players to show more personality. You want players to show more character. This is not the way to do it. I mean, it 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 puts a bad name on all media when a guy asks a question like this, because other players around the league are going to see it, whether they're in markets like Carolina or Florida. I don't know what the media is like in Florida, but you know, it's like, I just, I look at that and I think, you know, this is exactly the opposite of what we want. And that's why I don't like media availability. I don't think if your team is terrible, correct me if I'm wrong. When the Sabres had Reinhardt, Risto, Jack, and we'd see these guys get interviewed and you could tell they were pissy. Correct me if I'm wrong. And and did we not say, man, players must think that media member is a total dick, but my God, is he asking great questions? You know, like it, it creates entertainment. It, cre- yeah. it creates enter- year-end press conferences when teams have struggled. They missed the playoffs five years in a row. I remember when Darcy Regeer was almost, 
you know, hung out to dry a couple of years ago, like five years or whenever this last year was when uh, all the Buffalo media were there and they were grilling them and grilling them. And it's just, you know, it, it, it creates entertainment, but does it, well, I think it does more harm than good. Well, look at, look at O'Reilly. Now, whether his comments were targeted or not to get out of Buffalo, his comments were absolutely dead on right. He lost the love of the game because it became no longer fun to go to the rink. No one wants to go to the rink when you're losing. No one wants to do it for multiple years. What is hard about it is, I've said it, I think, before, is you're going to the rink trying to find answers every single day. Being mad, being upbeat, like things are positive, and the shit doesn't work. And after a certain point, it just becomes a drag to go down there every day and try to build off of something, trying to find something to build off of. So it no longer becomes fun in the sense that yeah. it's not enjoyable to go there, just like anyone else's so, desk job or so, anyone else's yeah. anything. If things are not going well, you don't want to go. So when they're good. About- Think about the players that have been in this organization that we, we had to move. Do you think we wanted to move Jack Eichel? He's one of the top 10 players in the world. Do you think we wanted to lose Sam Reinhardt, our second overall draft pick? think we wanted to lose Rasmus Bristolainen, who had been here for eight years and has lost every single year? Like, I feel like they were, we're, we're talking like about they, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor out. McDavid. Okay. We're talking about Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl in Edmonton. They've lost for like, you know, just, just this year. I don't you know, think they've you're had some driven tough times. Out. I mean, you're, you're not driven out. The, what happens is losing is no fun. It sucks everything out of it. And eventually it comes to a point where you need to change the scenery. And that's why you see these players succeed. Yeah. O'Reilly goes to St. Louis he starts loving the game more because they're winning. He's around teammates that are start. upbeat. It's fresh. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I, I went to Boston my last year. And when I tell you, it relieved everything. I don't want to say the fun of the game because it's cliche and it's, it's what O'Reilly was saying, but it, it was fun. It was fun. We had a chance to win. It was fun going to the rink. A good group of guys. Everyone did the right thing. You weren't sitting there nitpicking someone what they were doing that morning that they weren't being professional or they were showing up late. That shit didn't happen. Maybe it's not just concentrate on playing, just have fun playing the game again. It was maybe it refreshing. wasn't, maybe, maybe I'd like to, to, to just uh, to, cause I do want to know exactly the emotion that you felt. Is it, is so you didn't maybe find the fun of the, the fun of the game again. Cause I believe the game is always fun, whether you're winning or losing. I mean, like it sucks. It sucks going to the rink some days, but you're, you can still have fun. But I, is it, is it, did it alleviate the strain of being on a losing team? For sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's, that alone can even help more so a hundred percent. And yeah. I went there without my family and three kids, which is hard enough as it is. I'm in an apartment and you don't have your family. You like you, that is one of the saving graces when you walk out of that rink is that you are coming back to your kids that don't care what the hell happened at the rink that day. They just want you to be present and be at their practice or help them with their homework. And so I didn't have that, but it was still fun to be there because you were enjoying going to the rink again. And it was no longer that stress and drag of 
how to find answers. It, it just is what it is. And O'Reilly was 100% right. Whether you like it or not, that's the state that they were at at the time. Uh, back to what you were saying, Riv, just before we move on here to some Sabres talk. Um, you were saying they've only been losing for one year, but it's not even that. It's the expectations, I think, that are that were so high in Edmonton this year, right? That That is creating... You don't think strength. that Buffalo Sabres had expectations after they signed Eric Stahl and they signed Taylor Hall and they went out and they made moves to make this team better. They went and got Cody Eakin, which, which was that like third, fourth line center that they needed. They went out and got a lot of... You don't think that there was pressure on Jack Eichel, Sam Reinhardt. They had they have already lost for like what four years, five years. I mean, there's pressure on Jack Eichel, and I'm gonna tell you right now, it. I feel bad for Jack. I really do. Like, I mean, no one wants to. I know you know, and PD, you know what it's like to be on a team that's winning. But I also know. The exact opposite. I know what it's like to be on a team that doesn't make the playoffs, a team that struggles, and a team that can't find an identity, and a team that you're just going to the rink every single day. You're doing more video than what you should be. You're you're more time on the ice because you're trying to work out of stuff. There's there's more meetings with your coaches, with your uh, leadership group, with like it is constant and it wears on you. It wears over and over and over. So I've seen and been on both sides of it. I cannot imagine being Sam Reinhardt, Jack Eichel, two guys that came in at the exact same time, Rasmus Ristolainen, and those guys have an extreme amount of pressure. Okay. Rasmus Ristolainen was playing 25 to 30 minutes a game on a horse shit hockey team. And you know what? He got a he got a bad name because his defense wasn't great and this and that and all this kind of stuff. I mean, Jack Eichel is, is uh, you know, here in Buffalo eyes is we think of Jack Eichel's body language and the way he talked to the media. Like he was, he was 18, he was 19, he was 20, he was 21, he was 22. Like he was a kid. These, these guys are kids. I don't care if they're making $10 million and they're 21 years old. They're still kids. They haven't experienced anything and all they've experienced here in Buffalo was losing and it's not from Jack Eichel it's not just from Jack Jack went out every single night and he produced every single night so did Sam Reinhardt but what happened to the what happened to the lineup behind it's not just about one or two players or three players on a hockey team it's it's about it's about a team that that wins you hockey games all right Let's talk about a team that won a hockey game last night that I think, you know, the Sabres went into Ottawa, won a game, and there, there, were, some, there were some really positive, uh, positive things that went on in that game. Number one, I'll start with Michael Hauser. I couldn't be happier for that guy, okay? I mean, stopped 43 of 44 shots and... Big saves, too. Yeah. You know, I mean, what else can you ask for? Just a great story. You know, I, I mean... I mean, it doesn't doesn't stop there, but he just seems like a guy that I, you know, anybody would want to lay down and block a shot for. You know, I mean, I, I I love that guy. But but Craig, you tweeted out after who was it that got run over? Was it Will Butcher by Kachuk? Yes, Will Butcher uh, uh, just got absolutely lit up by um, um, was it Brady Kachuk? Yeah, yeah, Brady Kachuk. Brady, Brady Kachuk. Um, with a great, with a great clean hit, it was a beautiful hit. 
And I know most people or some people out there in the media would not like, uh, you know, someone to react off of, uh, of a clean hit. You're like, well, why do you have to react off a clean hit? Because that's your teammate. That's your teammate. And you don't want liberties to happen with your teammates. So sometimes you, uh, you have to address these things. And some people, you know, some people's opinions, they wouldn't want to do that. But in my opinion, this is just my opinion, is I absolutely loved what John Hayden did last night. He didn't even think twice. Gloves were off, went after him. It was a spirited fight. And I'm going to tell you right now, that resonates. I cannot tell you how much that resonates. Number one, for Will Butcher. And number two, for every single guy on that bench watching. It was awesome to see. You don't have to be the toughest guy in the world, but you got to be there for your teammates. John Hayden set the tone for that game. Good on him. Well done. Um, how about, how about Jankowski? What, what are you laughing at, Gio? Well, just, you know, the subtle, the subtle daggers to the, <laughs> to the, he, ob- went, he, went, to he the- went right through the camera at me with speaking to me. Listen, a few weeks ago when I said, why does someone have to answer to <laughs> a clean hit? I you wasn't went listen, right over your head. To me. I wasn't talking about you. You like not talking through. about you. That's for listen, damn sure. A few weeks ago, I made mention a simple comment saying, I, I don't get the fact that you have to fight for a clean hit. I do understand your point, Rivs, that someone on your team gets hammered. A response is warranted. I, I agree 100%. So I just wanted to clarify whether or not you were speaking directly to me. No, I was not speaking uh, to you to at me, all. Or if you're talking about somebody else. No, no. Like, listen, I mean, Mar- Marty Baron and myself have had these discussions since the, the start of time when it comes to what you do when, you're, when your teammate gets hit with a clean hit. And I'm going to tell you, Brady Kachuk's hit was, he knew exactly what he was doing. It was aggressive. He charged in there and he absolutely smoked Will Butcher, whose head was like damn near up his butt when he was trying to carry the puck around the net, which is like, he deserves to get hit. Right. But listen, I mean, there is a response immediately. And I mean, immediately, not, not three shifts later, but immediately right away, John Hayden set the standard for the Buffalo Sabres walking into the Ottawa senators uh, arena. And I'm going to tell you right now, it, it does not go unnoticed whatsoever, not only for the guy who got hit, but it's the guys that are sitting on the bench and you can start to see that, wow, that's how we play a game. And that's what we do because that is my brother. That is my brother that just got lit up there and I'm not going to allow that to happen. I don't care if it's clean or dirty, you address it and you know, you move forward, you move forward in the game, but John Hayden set, set the standard for that game. Uh, I, I mean, I was a little concerned for Oposo there when he got run by the boards right before Jankowski scored a, a goal that I don't think I've ever seen before. I think everybody was waiting for a whistle. There's 14 and, players on the ice too. At the time. It was like, it was unreal. Did you I, see how many Ottawa had at minimum seven players on the ice? Cause they had four in that scrum. And they had possession of the puck for a second. But, but again, I, again, in that situation, you have Kyle Poso 
carrying the puck up the ice and that that defenseman, I think it was a defenseman, made a beautiful hit on Kyla Poso. Kind of caught him off off balance a little bit. Kyla Poso went flying into the boards. Um, I think I think probably hit his head, you know, off the boards. And immediately there is a response. Mark Pesic was the first guy in there. He went in there and basically gave the response. Did he have to drop the gloves? Did he have to, you know, make it a complete shit show? No, he responded to a clean hit, but it was a response that needed a reaction. That is team toughness. That is showing that if you do these things, we are going to react off it every single time. And there's four guys in there. There was even Victor Olson kind of doing the policeman. He was kind of had the arms out, you know, making sure there wasn't more guys coming in. Meanwhile, the whole team was, you know, in there already. But I just love the response from the team. The boys were in there um, getting nasty, sticking up for each other. And then I'm going to tell you this, no one is talking about this, but Mark Jankowski went and skates back, strips the puck from Brown, the defenseman goes in on a breakaway and what a beautiful move, what a beautiful breakaway, little fake goalie goes down, goes around him and, and gives the old tuck in. It was a beautiful, beautiful breakaway goal. I've been impressed with him. I know we'll, we'll get into him with uh, with our midseason grades, but I thought that was a I thought that was a great win for the Sabers last night. Alex Tuck seven points, seven awesome. games. I threw out a tweet last night. Jeff Skinner's flying. Jeff Skinner's playing. He's playing was, the game. It was a good win. Let's not say great. It's the Ottawa Senators. It's not a great win. What does that it's mean? A good, it's it's a win. It's a, a win that they should have had. It's a good game. Should we they have had did. that win? They did. They went in, the and right I'm going to tell you this: they should have beat Detroit. They went into Detroit or uh, played Detroit last game. They lost in overtime, but they were up two nothing. Yeah. Okay. They played a very strong hockey game. They had scoring chances. They moved the puck well. I thought they played a really solid game. They completely, and I say completely, dropped the ball. When you get scored on on your power play to make that game 2-1, you give life to Detroit. They were dead in the water. Detroit did nothing the entire game. They did absolutely nothing. But that is an opening. And you know the way it happens in this league. If you give openings to teams, they stick around, they stick around, they stick around. They get this that tying goal. It, I mean, no, I they thought, they needed oh, they needed oh, to so win they that game that after the after the four nothing loss yes. in Detroit. After a great game in Nashville, like I mean, just a, a great game in Nashville. Uh, I, I sent out a tweet from the After the Whistle account last night, and we'll get into uh, our, our midseason rankings. But I, you know, I basically just said it. And I, look, I know it sounds biased because you know we like the player, we know the player, we know the family. You know, we all do. Um, but I just said Alex Tuck, seven points in seven games as a Saber, speed, size, skill, and heart. No brainer for next captain. You guys were captains both for this organization in the in Buffalo. I mean, is, is, is that not one of the main reasons why you think Kevin Adams went and brought this guy in was so that he could develop himself into the next captain of this team. I, I, I don't know that he knew that yet. Right. Like 
in Vegas, it was a much different makeup of a team. What he brings and what he does on a day-to-day basis, I wouldn't say you classified him as a leader in Vegas, but he comes and does the right things in Buffalo. And now all of a sudden he becomes your leader here in the sense that he's been around something good, right? He's been a part of it. He's matured. Um, he, he's playing the game the right way. So I don't know that Kevin Adams went out looking for him to be the next captain. I, I think where he was depth chart leadership wise in Vegas is a much different landscape than what he is with the Buffalo Sabres. So I don't know that that move was made. I do agree with you that he's certainly high up there as a candidate for the next captain if he continues to do the things the right way. And that's without even being behind the scenes and knowing, right? We're on the outside, so it's hard to say. But the what he brings to the table every day, that's what you want out of a leader out of your, on your team. Um, but I don't know that Adams had that information before he made the move to Buffalo. River, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, you know, this year, there's no captain for uh, for the Buffalo Sabres. I think there's going to be um, a long, hard look at, at what they have in the dressing room. Someone's going to emerge. A captain always emerges, um, unless you're picking a young guy where you're going to support around him. Um, I, I, would, I would think that, um, you know, Alex Tuck is certainly someone has been in the league long enough, who's had success in the league long enough, who's at the right age to really take um, responsibility, you know, for, for a group here in Buffalo, it would not surprise me whatsoever if he was named the next captain. But I think that uh, I think only time will tell. I think there's going to be a long, hard look at the leadership group here in, in Buffalo and I think in today's game, there's not just one. We just we don't have Mark Messier's anymore. We don't have Stevie Eisenman's anymore or Joe Sackick's. We don't have those guys anymore. They were singular, dominant. You know, you listened and did whatever they said because they ran the show. In today's game, there is leadership by committee. I find there's more of that. You know, you have, you give voices to players that you believe have leadership qualities and you do it by committee. And I think Alex Tuck is going to be in that leadership group, leadership committee. I don't know if he's going to be the captain. That's, that's for the, uh, the Buffalo Sabres to figure out through, through time. Okay. In the room. I, I do agree with you, Rivs. I think, a tuck is certainly supported by a veteran guy like an Ocposo or something like that. That's been around, right? Like tuck is not the most veteran of guys. He's not a rookie. He's not a veteran. He's on that in between. Um, But the leadership group is huge within rooms. It's not a single, it's not three guys. I would say it's five to six guys minimum in your leadership group that is driving your team on a daily basis. That's right. Yep. That's a wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, After the Whistle, and at Craig Reve 52 at the Instigator76. And you can find us, as you already know, on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, and anywhere else where you can get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.